Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Did you bring a Bible with you to church? Uh, we're going to talk... Uh, about some truth in God's Word today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can find one on your phone. You can find some of the scriptures I'm going to reference on the screen here. We are talking in this series, Two Truths and a Lie. Jennifer made mention of it. If you were not here last week, uh, we have begun talking through uh, a series really uh, inspired by the old parlor game. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? where you present to a group of people, here's some things that are true about me, here's something that's not true about me, you try to guess which one is true. Often happens maybe in a hub or small group. It happens perhaps uh, even in like a first day at work and you're sitting down with a bunch of uh, fellow employees, you don't know who's who and they play and you're like, how would I possibly know which ones are true and which ones are lie? Some of you have played a game like this so frequently that you've already got yours locked and loaded. You're like, I know the one, I know the one that stumps everyone, the crazy fact about me that just doesn't even make sense. Like, Like I might throw in if I was playing True Truths and a Lie that I'm not wearing socks right now because I'm not wearing socks right now. I don't really generally tend to wear socks. I know it's a little unique and crazy. People usually disregard that one because they're like, that's too weird. That couldn't be possible. Okay? Two truths and a lie. The way that it works is really only effective if the things that you state as as true are kind of too good to be true. And the thing that is a lie is at least plausible. I, I think we're all kind of playing a game of two truths and a lie always. We're interacting with people and information continually, and we're trying to make evaluations and determinations. What's true? What's true anyway? In fact, last week, Pastor Kobe preached a message called Two Truths and a Lie about truth. If you missed that, you should go listen to it on our podcast so you can follow along. What actually is true. How do we determine what is true? I love the Bereans. In the book of of Acts chapter 17, there's this group of people called the Bereans. The Bible says they have noble character. The word noble means it's good and getting better. Their character was such that they were incredible, but they were also committed to self-improvement. How many people want to have noble character? Oh my goodness, it's possible for all of us. Guess what? The Bereans, here's what that noble character manifested in. They were eager to hear new thoughts, and they examined those new thoughts daily according to Scripture. What does it say about them? They had a soft heart, and they had a sharp mind. They had a soft heart to take on new information, and they had a sharp mind to determine, even though it's new, is it actually true? I want to have a, a, a softer heart. How about you? I want to have a sharper mind. How about you? He, the opposite would be this, a hard heart and a dull mind. We've all got those friends. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a person who is so insecure about what I believe to be true that I have to harden my heart to all new ideas because they can shake me and rattle me. I want to have a soft heart, able to take in new thoughts, but a sharp mind that can decipher which of them is true. I've found if we lack either softness of heart or sharpness of mind, the other one ends up following. If you have a soft heart and your mind is not sharp, eventually you just get 
calloused to all the difficult, painful things that happen around you. And everything, just, oh my goodness, empathy is flowing freely so much so. And you can't evaluate what is or isn't true and you end up just going, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have to kind of harden my heart a bit because this is wrecking me. The same is true with your mind. If you have a dull mind, all new information is coming and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Got no opinions, no thoughts on anything. Eventually, it begins to harden your heart because nothing actually moves the needle. I want a softer heart. I want a sharper mind. How about you? It's possible for us. Here's what A.W. Tozer said about truth. He said it better than I do, and so I'm going to read his words instead of mine. A.W. Tozer said this. An unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and to root out error will shortly become a theological wilderness. In the same way that a gardener needs to tend to the soil of their garden, we need to tend to the soil of our hearts and minds. Softer hearts, sharper mind. St. Augustine said this, when regard for truth has been broken down, even slightly, all things remain doubtful. When we begin to question, does truth even matter, we begin to walk through the fog of doubt, not knowing which way is up. That's why we're looking at two truths and a lie. So today I'm going to tell you three things. Two of them are true, one of them is a lie. In, in future weeks, I might not even give you the hint that I'm going to do that. Maybe just preach something and you'll be going, amen. I'll say, gotcha. Could happen, but not today, okay? Not today. Today I want to I speak to you very briefly on two truths and a lie about the struggle. Two truths and a lie about the struggle. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask in these next few moments that you'd use uh, your word to speak through my words, that we would find ourselves encountering your truth. And I thank you that your word promises that when we put your truth into action, it actually walks us into freedom. May that be our experience today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, got to be honest with you guys, I've got a little bit of a struggle in my life right now, and that struggle is with my voice. I have some laryngitis that I am coming through. I'm on the other side of. It's getting a little bit better every day, but it's been a bit of a struggle. So this is both the loudest and the quietest that I can talk, okay? If I go any quieter or any louder, we, we, got, uh, we got fireworks. It's great. Uh, last week, I was, I was with our Toronto location, and uh, it was my task to lead worship Sunday night. And I woke up Sunday morning, and I could not make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I could make a noise, and that noise would be best defined as a small whistling sound. I opened my mouth, and I was like... That. By the end of the day, through many cups of tea, I had found that my, my vocal range was four notes. The problem was none of those notes were connected, okay? I had a couple kind of awkward low ones, one really strange high one that I could hit with clarity, and yet I led worship. Uh, it was one of the, the days that I should have just sung How Great Is Our God the whole time so the crowd could lead it. If you've uh, been around church for a while, you know what I'm talking about, but it was more like, all right, everyone, let's raise our voice and sing, and then I would back off and like lip sync really emphatically. It was a bit of a struggle. How many people have ever heard the saying, the struggle is real? 
The struggle is real. It was impossible. You might, you might feel sorry for me today. Please don't. It feels better than it sounds, even though it sounds a little bit gravelly today. But the struggle is real. The struggle you face, I want to legitimize it today. It is a real struggle. I don't know if you've been around friends, groups of people, or maybe churches that try to talk you down uh, off the struggle that you feel. And no matter what it is you're going through, they're like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I, I, I want to encourage you, if you're married, that's a great way to navigate through a conflict. Just tell them it's okay. No, 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 it's not a big deal. It's okay. It's simple. There are people who try to talk you down using this method. It could be so much worse. And then they begin to tell you stories of other people who have harder things that they're going through as a means to try to negotiate you out of the struggle that you're feeling. And maybe today we could play some Sarah McLaughlin and show some orphan puppies, and you could be like, stop feeling bad about your situation. But your struggle's real. The things you go through are real. The Bible actually never seeks to diminish your struggle. It doesn't seek to convince you out of the fact that you are walking through pain, hardship, trial, or or, or any sort of a test. Your struggle, I want to acknowledge today, is real. Now, the Bible does say things like this. The, The light and momentary struggles that we face are nothing compared to the glory of God when it is revealed. Speaking to us this, that God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, always, does have a plan in the midst of our struggle. The Bible also says this, if you, if you want to turn with me to James chapter 1, if you have a Bible, you could read along. If not, let me read it to you. James chapter 1, it says things like this, consider it pure joy, this is verse 2, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trial of, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So not only does the Bible not diminish your trouble or your struggle, it actually says there's something positive that you can do with it. Count it. Consider it. Weigh it out. For some of us, our counting kind of maxes out at at one or two. And if we hit a third trial, we're like, I don't know what's going on with my life. I don't know what my problem is. And and because maybe some awkwardness, some embarrassment, some self-pity, whatever it might be, we begin to kind of go down a little cyclone. Have you ever been around those people, though? It's like, man, if they were to count their trouble, they're going to need all ten fingers and they might need to not wear socks like Pastor Justin so they can start counting on their toes. They got stuff going on. Your struggle is real. Whatever you're facing today, you don't need to pretend it away to fit in church. Way too many people, I think, we bring our less than authentic self into community, and then we wonder why we don't have real friends. And we blame the friends. Man, no, no real friends who are really there for me. And yet we are managing ourselves We're putting a gate on ourselves. We're compressing what is true and only showing what we think is presentable. Your struggle's real. Not only is your struggle real, it's unique. It's subjective. What you are struggling with right now is not a struggle to the person who's sitting beside you. And you married each other. (laughs) That's often the case. Often the case, you end up opposites attract and things that are a struggle for you are not a struggle for them and vice versa. This is a strength, not a weakness. 
This is a blessing, not a curse. If we can learn from it, we actually can help each other navigate through struggles. But the truth is your struggle is unique. There, there, there are two friends, one complaining, oh, I got called into work again, and another looking for a job. And it's a struggle for both of them. The fact that one is a struggle does not diminish the other in any way, and vice versa. We're not looking for homeostasis. We're not looking to, everyone must balance each other off, and we're just a wonderful tone of mediumness. Well, the struggle's real, and the struggle is unique. And it's not just James that says so. Paul also speaks to this same type of thing in Romans chapter 5. Let me read this to you, Romans chapter 5. Paul is speaking about struggle, and he says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. You see, the Bible is not trying to convince you not to struggle. It's not trying to gaslight you into believing that you don't have a struggle. Your struggle's real. Your struggle's unique. But I want you to hear this and, and, and just lean in and trust me in this. Your struggle is temporary. The thing you're struggling with right now is temporary. Life is temporary. Ergo, by definition, your struggle, even if you fight and, and, and face it daily is temporary. Let, let me on like a very basic level prove this to you. Think back to last year this time. The thing you were struggling with most for some in the room is no longer a struggle. Think, think back to another season of your life, another time, another place. The thing that you were walking through is no longer a struggle. And just like that is true on maybe some secondary or tertiary struggles, it might be true for you that the primary thing you're struggling with is still the thing you're struggling with, just like they were temporary. This too will be temporary. I promise you, it has to be. This week I, I took my, my youngest, or not my youngest, my second youngest son, Zion. He's almost four, and he had a, a minor surgery on his hand. For the last few years, uh, he's had a, like a trigger thumb, so the one thumb just won't extend. So when he gives two thumbs up, it's this. It doesn't diminish his smile at all. He's super happy. And, and he starts to, he, he, he figured out, he goes, Dad, if I go two thumbs down, it works. And it's just as bent. And so finally, uh, you know, as, as waiting lists have, have shifted, we got him in this week to get his surgery. He, he had a great time meeting new friends all around the place, just talking to all the nurses and all the helpers. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're coming in, okay, we've got a Zion here. He goes, uh, it's Zion. Z-I-O-N, spelling it out to all of them. And they're like, oh, thank you for correcting me. He goes, you're welcome. <laughs> like he's very engaged. He, he's not yet four, but he, he's pretty articulate. He has a good handle on his language. And so 
we're getting ready for for the surgery, and they've they've got him in in a place. They're putting anesthesia on him, and he's falling asleep. And they're like, "Okay, Dad, you can go. Uh, wait in the waiting room. We'll come get you." And he's waking up. So surgery was ending. It was successful. He's now two thumbs truly up, and and so they say, well, "You can come in. He's going to wake up soon." So I come into the room where he is, and and uh, he's just sound asleep, having the greatest nap of his life. And the nurse is like poking at him, Zion, Zion, time to get up. And she's rolled up Kleenex and she's like putting up his nose and trying to tickle him. And just like, it's really, you know, when he gets up, we'll look for signs of pain. And if we notice any signs of pain, there's some medicine that we can give him to help him with any signs of pain. We'll just watch for some of those signs. And I'm like, okay, you know, what would we be looking for? She goes, well, we'll just wait and see if there's any signs. So she's poking and prodding, and eventually he kind of wakes up, and he's like, oh. And then he looks down at his hand, and I don't know if it was physical pain or the emotion of having it all wrapped up. He's like, oh. Oh, he starts expressing his pain. And, uh, you know, I can see her just watching intently, looking for signs of pain. And Zion, he goes straight into full articulation. He's like, Dad. I feel like the pain in my thumb is never going to go away. And the nurse is like, oh, no, it will. Trust me, I promise. And he looks at me, he looks at her, he looks back at me, he's like, Dad, I feel like there's nothing this nurse can do that will help. <laughs> and it's never going away. And they're like, okay. I, she goes, I think, I think he's feeling some pain. I'm like, I think you're right. So she comes over, gives him a little more medicine. He's like, Dad, the medicine she gave me did not help at all. My thumb is still very sore. And he's like using all his vocabulary. And you can tell she's like kind of laughing under her mask, but also feeling pretty bad. And she just keeps going, I promise you it's going to be okay. I promise. And he's kind of like, lady, I don't know you. You're not even pronouncing my name right. It's Zion, Z-I-O-N, and nothing you're doing is helping. And, you know, he went to sleep. He slept for a little while longer. I'm sure the medicine played a part in that. And when he woke back up, he goes, Dad, I think we should go get a cookie. (laughs) No more mention of pain at any point in time. The truth is for all of us, as much as I'm not trying to trivialize the weightiness of your struggle right now, it is temporary. And you might feel like it's never going to go away and the promises that I've made are not helping and nothing's ever going to work. But there will come a moment in time where you are going to emerge from this struggle and go like, I'm ready for what comes next. I promise you. It's the way things go. And you might be looking at me like, you're just like a nurse. I don't even know you. Your promise doesn't matter. But God promises this to be true. So, so let me give you three statements, okay? Three statements people make in the midst of the struggle, which is real, unique, and temporary. Three statements they make that I hear often, or some iteration of these. Two of them are true. One of them's a lie, okay? Can we look at these together? If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Statement number one, God is allowing me to go through trouble. God is allowing me to go through trouble. Some people would articulate it this way. Why is God allowing me to go through this? But this is the essence of what they're saying. God is allowing this to happen to me. Statement number two, God is tempting me in order to test my faith. I hear some people at times, it's almost like a motivator for them when they're walking through temptation. Like, I just know God's testing me. He's trying to test my faith. He's sending temptation my way. Number three, third statement, God is asking me to do something 
that it's impossible for me to do. And they might articulate it this way. There's no way I could ever do what God's asking me to do. These three statements, two are true, one's a lie. Let's investigate together. Number one, first statement, God is allowing me to go through this trouble. This is true. Whatever struggle you face right now, God is not powerless in this situation. He, he is above all things, before and after all things. He knows all things, and he's unchanging. If he desired to, he could eliminate trouble from our life. So why doesn't he? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it that God doesn't just make life easy? It would be an incredibly persuasive but pretty manipulative sales pitch if God presented things this way. Believe in me and everything will get easier. If you believe in me, all your bills, they're gone. You're going to look better. People are going to like you more. You don't have to worry about your attitude in traffic because there will be no traffic. It's amazing. You're, you're just gonna, you're gonna get you're gonna get promotion after promotion after promotion. You can eat whatever you want without consequence. There will be no trouble in your life. The most annoying people in your life just gone. You're gonna have the greatest friends. Like, wouldn't it be a manipulative but a successful sales pitch? Instead, Jesus says this in John chapter 16 and 33. He says this: In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Before saying that, he says this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. What God is trying to get to you and I with in the midst of our trouble is peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Jesus in the midst of that trouble. Peace is not a message that would actually communicate anything to our heart if Jesus just eliminated trouble from our journey. The only way for trouble to be gone is in eternity, and that will come. The troubles we face are temporary enough that in eternity we're not facing them anymore, but until that time, we get to meet with Jesus in the midst of trouble. So he allows us, as James said, to count it all joy because we are being matured. He allows us, as Paul said, to, to boast in struggle because struggle has an end result of hope. The fact that we're going through struggle is not uh, a lack of God's power. It's not a lack of God's presence. It is the fact that he is eternal. He is both the first and the last. He's seen the results, and they come out good for you and I when we learn to persevere. So let me ask you, what is your struggle? You don't have to shout it out. That could get really awkward, right? <clears throat> Very personal. If the struggle is the name of another person in this room, then it gets real weird. But what is your struggle right now? Whatever it is, this is true of this. God is allowing you to walk through this, but promising you that he will walk through it with you. There's grace for you and I in the struggle, a grace that can only be experienced by navigating through this struggle. 
I, I heard someone once say this, you, you, you don't, there's some things you can't get over, but you can't get through. There's some things that the goal that God has is not just to get you over them so you forget them. It's actually to walk you through them in a way that you'll never forget his faithfulness. He'll never forget his security. You'll never forget the peace that he met with you in that moment. And it will change you and shape you and mature you and develop hope within you that will sustain you through the inevitable struggle that is yet to come. So God is allowing you to go through this. It doesn't speak to his lack of character. It speaks to the, the fullness of his foreknowledge. He's seen it all, and he's promised to see us through. So when you face trouble, your struggle, whatever it is, you need to remind yourself, God is allowing me to go through this. And if he's allowing me to go through this, the Bible promises this, that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so there's good for this in some way, shape, or form. And until it's good, God's not done. And so I'm just going to keep on holding on in hope to God. And until it's good, he's not done yet. So so first statement, God is allowing me to go through this. True. Second statement, God is tempting me in order to test my faith. I hear this type of thing a lot. I hear this type of thing a lot, uh, usually mid to late January, after people have made goals and, and, and promises about how this year is going to be different. They're going to eat different. They're going to drink different. They're going to exercise different. They're going to read different. They're going to handle social media different. And then, you know, a few weeks in, like, oh, yeah, it's getting tough. God's just tempting me. I hear this people when they're fighting for, uh, you know, sobriety and they go, oh man, God, he's tempting me. He's bringing, you know, problems along my way to see what I will do. As much as you might hear this enough that it just kind of becomes part of your perceived reality, this is not true. God is not tempting you, but you are being tempted and your temptation can test you. But God is not the source of your temptation. Look what it says in the book of James chapter 1. Can you turn back there? I know we started there, and now we're navigating back there. James chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to go down to verse 13. James 1.13. It says this. When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires, and they're enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God is not a tempter, but temptation will test you. It would be uh, pretty vindictive and petty and small if God was saying, I, I demand holiness of you, but try this. If God was on both sides of this equation. It's amazing to me how people are, are continually limiting the jurisdiction and power of God until it comes to the struggle and then it's all his fault. They limit the jurisdiction and the power of God, but then when they're tempted, they're like, oh, God's doing this to me and he's trying to test me. And we get this weird self-righteous cycle that we find ourselves in. But, I, you know, God's not going to get me this time. I'm going to stand strong. God is not your enemy. He is your helper, your ever-present help in time of trouble. So what does the Bible say is the source of our temptation? It's our desire. Desire. And desire isn't evil. Desire in and of itself is not weakness. 
In fact, the Bible in Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was tempted, fully God, fully man, tempted in every way as we are. So he can sympathize with us and he can teach us how to say no to temptation. The desires you have are not evil. What you do with them, well, that's the choice. You have a desire for intimacy, a desire for connectedness with other people. And God says here are ways you can experience that. Here's a beautiful way. Marriage. You can have a covenant with someone and you can lay down your life continually for one another, submit to one another and be committed and there will be fulfillment and gratification and everything that comes in that. And the devil says, or you could just have a one night stand and you'll have a glimpse of that right now. No payment, no cost. We have a desire for significance. And God says, here's how you can be significant. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn how to serve others. That desire is not a bad thing, but you need to put first the kingdom of God and righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the thing that I'm calling you to, and then I'm going to back you up. And the devil goes, or you could just step on some people. You could cut some corners for a, a, a quick, famous payout. Just get famous. We have a desire for wealth, perhaps, which is not in and of itself a bad thing. In fact, the Bible says that God has created everything for our enjoyment. And so we have a desire to build and to grow and to expand. And the devil goes, or you could just eliminate generosity from your life, hoard what is yours, steal when you need to, lie, cheat, do whatever, and then you can experience having more. Temptation is when our desire interfaces with, with uh, the lie of the enemy. But temp- desire also is a place where we can find satisfaction in God. It's the battleground. Desire is the battleground for our soul, and God is saying, I've got a way for you to experience fulfillment in all of your desires. In fact, the Bible says this, that, that when I delight myself in the Lord, He gives me the desires of my heart. So every time I'm tempted, I have a choice. I could worship and in delighting myself in the Lord, position myself for the desires of my heart to be met in him. Temptation is not God testing you, but temptation does test you, doesn't it? It's, it's like the weak link in our chain. How strong are we? As strong as our weakest link. In our place of weakness, we can find the strength and power of God, and, and it's insurmountable what we could overcome, or this could be the end of the journey. Look what Paul says in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Is this helpful to you? I got just a little more voice. I'm going to use it all here and then be real quiet the rest of the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, in verse, uh, I'm going to start at verse 11 to get us a little running head start. It says this, these things happen to them as examples were written down as warnings for us to whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common for mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So so not only is God not the tempter, he's also overseeing this process in our life 
and saying, if you reach your max output, I'm going to rescue you in this. It, it, it's, like, it's like being at the gym and, and trying to stand up under the weight of a squat bar. And there we are just trying to live our life and navigate through our desires. And we're like, man, I got this. I'm good. And the Bible says, when you think you got it, be careful. That's a time when people have tended to fall. And there we are under increased weight. And, and you know, we're navigating through desires. Our life's getting more complex. The struggle's real. But we know it's temporary. And so here we are navigating. I got another set in me. I'm doing all right. And God, meanwhile, is, is right there coaching us. Jesus, who's been tempted, going, here's how you can stand, stand firm. And the Bible says, nothing we face is, is uncommon, which is important for me because sometimes when I'm being tempted, I'm like, no one would understand. No one's ever had to face the complexity of this decision. And God's like, well, there's really only a couple temptations, and they kind of dress up in different costumes, but they're common. And you're not special for, for struggling with something. You know, well, I struggle with this one unique. We, we try to so uniquely tell a story so that no one can ever speak into our lives. My story is so unique. My situation is so defined that no one else gets what I'm going through. And God's like, well, the temptation piece, though, it's common to all of us. We all have to learn how to navigate that piece. And the Bible says he's faithful, not allowing us to, to be crushed. And when we are tempted to give us a way to stand up under it. And it's like, there you are, and you, you're like, I'm, I'm doing good, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't have the power within me. And before we are crushed, God's coming alongside. He's like, I got you. I got you. I'm going to spot you. I'm not going to eliminate the weight of this temptation. You're like, oh, there we go. That was easy. But I'm going to give you a way to stand up under it. I'm going to bring support into your life through accountability. I'm going to bring coaching into your life through mentorship. I'm going to bring wisdom in your life spoken profoundly by the Holy Spirit or through people who have gone there before. I'm going to bring community into your life to help you. You're going to get, you can stand up under this. But it's still our job to stand up under it because God's not our tempter. He's actually our coach who's helping us in the midst of it. So though he's not the source of temptation, he is the source of the solution to our problems. Look what it says in the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Titus chapter 2 says this of the grace of God. It says the grace of God has appeared and it offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's God's grace that meets us in our temptation. And he goes, this is how you say no to that. I, I, I found that his way for me to stand up under things, if I look back at times where I've struggled with temptation, it was way sooner than I thought. I was showing signs of weakness way before I thought I was. And, and you're like, well, God, I got myself in. I, there was just no choice. He said, oh, no, the choice was three hours ago. The choice was multiple drinks ago. The choice was ten conversations ago before you let it get here. The choice was three financial, you know, decisions before you got yourself into this. But his grace comes along, not to point out our weakness, but to teach us how to stand up under it. Imagine that. There's God in the gym. We got the squat bar on. Oh, God, I got this. I don't got it. And then God's like, are you serious? You're so weak. 
other people know how to do this. People in past generations were better at this than you are. That's not the voice of God. If you have that voice in your head, you're letting the devil live rent free. You gotta actually expel those thoughts. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. The kindness of God is actually leading us towards repentance and teaching us how to say no and giving us the courage to stand up under our temptation. So if your struggle looks like temptation, God's not the source, but he will actually meet you and give you what you need to stand up under it. So it brings us to our third statement very quickly. Now, someone I spoke these out, this is the one you underlined as the lie because it seems not very nice that God would ask us to do something that we're incapable of doing. And maybe you've entertained these thoughts or heard someone say them and you're like, that's so weak and petty. God is nice. He'd never do that. I think we've ascribed to God a characteristic that he doesn't claim for himself. Niceness. Niceness. Just doing the things that are uh, appropriate to make us feel comfortable. That's what niceness is, right? I'm going to set a stage where you feel comfortable at all times. God's not nice. He's very kind. He's kindness personified. Gentleness through and through. Completely loving. But that doesn't always mean niceness. He does, in fact, ask us and require us to do things that are impossible for us to do, such as be holy because I am holy. Uh, I think a few pages in the manual are missing. Be holy because I am holy. I I, I just watched... uh, Jacob in the green room solving uh, a Rubik's Cube. And he's solving, he's like, oh, I actually can skip a few steps here. I'm like, yeah, God skipped a few steps on that that little direction there. Be holy because I am holy is equivalent to saying just put all the colors on the same side. What are the steps? Well, look what Jesus said. He, he gives this poetic description. I want you to see that though it might not feel nice at first, it's actually so hope-filled and so kind. Look what it says in the book of uh, J- uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is giving a, a description of, of what our relationship with him is like. And he refers to himself as the vine or like the trunk of a tree. And you and I as the, the branches of that tree. He says this, I am the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be more fruitful. Uh, If you're listening to that, the only proper response is the word ouch. Our destiny is either to be cut or to be pruned. Ouch. If we lack fruitfulness, we're removed from Jesus, who is the source of life. If we show the ability to bear fruit, God prunes us. Pruning feels like being hemmed in at times. Pruning feels like being uncomfortable at times. Pruning definitely leads us to exposed vulnerability always, but it sets us up for future growth. He says this, you are already clean because the words I've spoken to you remain in me and I'll also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the true vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, then I remain in you, and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 
That's not very nice. That doesn't feel very encouraging, Jesus. I can do nothing. Yeah. I desire for you to be fruitful, says God. It's my destiny for you that you'd bear fruit that will last. And you have no ability to do it on your own. But if you remain in me, then I'm going to do that through you. I suppose this was a little bit of a trick question and it wasn't very nice of me either. But the reality is God is asking us to do things that are impossible for us to do on our own. I would go so far as to say this, that everything God asks us to do is impossible for us to do on our own. Nothing is intended to be in our own strength. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, describing salvation. It goes, oh, no, 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 no. It was not by works or else you'd start boasting. Imagine if, if, if we are the branch, a branch all of a sudden going, man, I know I'm a peach branch, but oh, I'm trying really hard and there's a pear. I just did that. I did that. I did. We would boast about the fruit that we could develop in ourselves. I'm changing the world. Look what I'm doing. I'm willing this into, into being. I'm speaking it into action. It's me. I'm actualizing this, this manifesting this. Man, apart from God, we can do nothing. And he's asked us to, to have an impact in the eternity of humanity. Are you joking? I'm telling you this, there's not a branch on planet Earth that's stressed out about its ability to bear fruit. The branch's only job is hold on. That's it. So if you're walking through some struggle right now or some trouble right now, and you feel like the thing ahead of you is totally impossible, you just might be in the center of God's will for your life. And you're going to need to hold on to Jesus. And what you feel is added insult to injury might just be God pruning you to make you more effective. Just make sure you hold on to him. Man, I see way too many people, as soon as things get tough, it's like they let go. Like, now I don't know what to believe. No, no, this is the time where you need to know what to believe, where you need to rest on what you know to be true. Well, anxiety hit, though. I felt anxious, so I don't know what to believe. No, no, no. Anxiety is a feeling that will pass. It's temporary if you hold on, and it can wash over you, and you can find yourself, sure enough, still holding on to the tree, still holding on, it's still bearing fruit. You can get through these things. Don't let go. That's the job of the branch. Just don't let go of the vine. So think with me one more time. What is it that you're struggling with right now? The struggle for you. It's funny that we'd be maybe resistant to share what that is with people for fear that it would seem too big or maybe more relevantly for fear that it would seem too small and that we'd share our struggle and someone else would go, that? Perhaps in our broken humanity, the moment we solve a problem, we begin to look at everyone else who still struggles with that problem and say, <laughs> I remember when I used to struggle with that. Maybe we need God to work a work of kindness within us. But think with me for a second, your struggle right now, the most relevant thing that you're facing right now. Here's what's true about it. God is allowing you to go through this. He's maturing you through it. And he's developing character in you that will result in hope. In the midst of that struggle, if you feel tempted to take a shortcut, if you feel tempted to, to follow uh, you know, ungodliness that will just, you know, medicate the feeling you're going through, resist that temptation. 
God's not the one tempting you to test your faith, but this is a big test of your faith. And he's actually a voice in your ear saying, you got this. I don't know if you've ever had the, the opportunity to watch uh, children play a sport and that their stamina is often linked to the encouragement that they're receiving. They're running 100 meters and 30 meters in, they're, ah, ah, until they hear a familiar voice going, you got this, Jimmy. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy finds a second wind. He's ready. I feel like that, like God's just in my ear going, you got this. I'll never let you face a temptation that is too big for you. I'm going to give you a way to stand up under it. Use the tools you have. You got accountability. You got mentorship. You got the word. You got the spirit. You got this. You got disciplines in your life. You can actually stand up under this. And if you are in a, a struggle that just feels impossible, it's too big for me. The problems I see, the frustrations I feel seem impossible. It might just be there in the center of what God's asking you to do, which is simply hold on to him and allow him to bear fruit in your life. Amazing thing about bearing fruit is it takes time. We don't know how successful it is until afterwards. It takes time and seasons of holding on. So I want to pray for you as the team comes back. I want to pray for you in your struggle. Imagine if I'm like, we're going to pray now and everyone shout out your struggle. It would be total chaos in the room. As I was uh, driving down here today, Jennifer and I were just laughing in the front seat of our van because our, our kids were telling stories to one another. And there is no gaps or punctuation when kids are telling stories to each other. They all just blend into one another. And, and often what happens is one goes, and then they said this, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then they said, and they say the exact same thing, but saying it through your own voice just makes it feel more personalized. And I thought if anyone else was listening to this conversation, they would just get lost in the, in the fray. But not me, because I know and I love these voices but I'm at my capacity. Eight is enough. I wonder if that's what, what a, like a prayer moment would feel like to anyone else if they could hear. And we're going, oh, yeah, 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 but what this one other thing that I'm facing, but then there's God. He knows us. He loves us. He cares for our voices. He can hear it, and he can take it all in and respond to it all. So we are going to pray. I want to pray for two types of struggles, okay? So wherever you are across the room, if you would, just take a moment, bow your head. First of all, first kind of struggle, is if you're here today and your struggle is with your sin, that is not a fight for you to fight anymore. Jesus has fought that fight. He's completely destroyed the power of sin and death so that you, cannot, you and I can live without guilt, without shame, without condemnation. And if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you're struggling against sin, it's a battle that's impossible to win without Jesus. But he makes a way for you and I to be righteous simply through repenting and believing. So if that's you today, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And it might be that, that you've never received Jesus as your Savior, or maybe you, you, you've done a lot of hard work to try to turn your back on Jesus. You made a decision at one point or another, but it is way in your rearview mirror, and you go, it's time I realign my life with the grace of God. With no one looking around, everyone's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed. This is a private moment. But if that's you today and you say, I'm, I'm surrendering my life to God, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I want to pray with you. I want to believe with you for the promise that God says that if anyone asks him for help, they're saved. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thank you, God. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.